So now take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 6, okay? Romans chapter 6. Everybody turn there. Or open up your smartphones and turn to your Bible app, you know, uh, Romans chapter 6, okay? Everybody get to Romans 6. If you do not have your Bible with you today, uh, all of the verses will come up on the jumbotrons. All, uh, I think they're in your program. They'll even come up on your computer screen. And if you do not own a Bible, if you don't have one, all you have to do is go into the altar room here, go into the altar room over in the uh, venue, and we would love to give you one. It is a, an honor to get the Word of God into people's hands. Uh, if you're watching online, just come down to the church on Monday, and we will we'll give you one. Now, one of the things that we do here at Big Valley Grace, it's kind of a big church, and we've got all these different gatherings, Saturday night, today, next hour, venue, all this kind of stuff, is that... Um, it's hard for us to get to know one another at times because it's just a big family. And so what we do is we, we take somebody in the, in, the, in the family and we do a little video of them. We call it a not ashamed video and we capture a little vignette of their life, a little piece of their story. And uh, check out this week's uh, not ashamed video. I grew up in a highly conservative family with parents that radiated Christ with everything that they did. I lived in a world full of Christians where everybody acted like they were perfect, and I knew that I wasn't. I was sexually abused by an outsider for quite some time when I was younger. Feelings of guilt, shame, embarrassment, and depression took over my life. I learned to put on a front that I was okay and I learned to pretend that I was perfect just like everybody else. I struggled with depression, my self-image, and feeling like I had no worth. I doubted God and his people. I attended a Christian high school where I was on the worship team. I was surrounded by people that claimed the name of Christ, and yet I went home from school crying almost every day. I so desperately wanted to fit in it was a small school, and I was not in the only clique of girls. Even some of the teachers got caught up in the harshness that sunk me deeper into a dark spot. When I was 19, I was engaged to a guy who was in full-time ministry. He traveled around the world sharing the name of Christ. He became my savior. He became the one who was going to fix everything and take away the pain that I've been going through for the past 10 years of my life. To make a long story short, who I put my hope in ultimately failed me. The engagement ended in betrayal and I was left with a shattered heart. I began questioning even more of God's faithfulness. And if he was there, how could all these people that claimed his name cause so much pain? I was reading my Bible one day and I came across this verse that grabbed a hold of my heart. In Isaiah 43 it says, Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, you are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. And then it skips down and says, Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. I give men in return for you, people in exchange for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I realized that Christ had never left me, and he was always there. He was waiting for me to open my eyes and come to him. My worth was in Christ, not in a man or how I looked on the outside, or even how I felt on the inside at times. I was still bitter and angry, especially towards my ex-fiance. A friend of mine mentioned that he was a sinner too, 
and that he was lost and needed Christ in his life just as much as I did. I wasn't the only one that was in need of a savior. Through God's grace and forgiveness, I was able to forgive others. God transformed me into somebody who gladly speaks about their faith. He's given me the security to be raw and real about what's going on in my life. Fast forward four years, I am now engaged to a man who loves the Lord and puts his relationship with Christ above me and encourages me to do the same. And my hope is not in him, it's in Christ. If I could tell others one thing, I would remind them that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. If you find yourself struggling with shame, depression, and a huge lack of self-worth from past abuses, I want you to know that you're not alone, and Christ is with you, and He loves you dearly. My name is Amanda Beach, and I am not ashamed of the gospel. Oh, there's that great line in there where she said, I... You know, I had my Bible open. And she's reading the Word of God. And it was in this moment as she's reading the Word of God that God speaks to her through His Word. And that's the importance of us all having the Word of God. And not just having it, but spending time each morning, afternoon, each evening, whenever it might be, with our noses in this book because it's God's word to us. This is how he speaks to us. And uh, what, what, what a great, great story, great, great gal. Well, um, Romans chapters one through three, in those first three chapters, Paul clearly lays out the problem we all have as human beings, and that is sin. This is the the first major section of the book of Romans. Romans chapter three says, for everyone has sinned. We've all fallen short of God's glorious standards. One of the things that we all have in common in here is that we've all been infected with sin, all of us. We all have it in common. And the reason why we've all sinned is because of one man. And that's Adam. When Adam sinned in the Garden of Eden, it brought sin into the world. Because of this one man, Adam, we've all, as I said, been infected with this horrible, horrible, incurable disease, if you will, called sin. This is the first major section of the book of Romans. Then Paul lays out the solution to the problem of sin. And the solution is Jesus. This is the second major section of the book of Romans. The, the first section is, is all about sin. And those first three chapters, Paul lays this foundation. We're all sinful. And once he makes that point, then he gets into the second major section, which is the solution to the problem of sin. And that's Jesus. God made a way for our sins to be forgiven, and that was through a relationship with his son, Jesus Christ. Romans chapter three goes on to say, for God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God, not when they attend church, not when they put an offering in the, you know, the offering basket, 
Not because they filled out a his team card and said that they'll serve somewhere. Not because they sing in the choir or because they play an instrument. Not because they'll be an usher or greeter. Not because they go on some mission, you know, mission trip. Not because <clears throat> you become a member of a church. Those are all good things. But the Bible says that people, we are made right with God when we believe that Jesus sacrificed his life on the cross, shedding his blood. One man, Adam, messed everything up between you and God. And one man, Jesus, makes everything right between you and God. Now, when you get to Romans chapter 6, where we're at today, Paul begins the third major section of Romans, which is all about how we as Christians ought to live now that Jesus has made everything right between you and God. In other words, now that Jesus has cleansed you of your sin, how should you respond to this great truth? So you see the progression? Makes perfect sense. The problem, sin. The solution, Jesus, the gospel. Now how should we live? What should our response be to the fact that we as believers have been redeemed from sin? How, how should we act? Well, Paul sums it up in verse 2 of Romans chapter 6 when he says, We've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Beloved, at the very moment you gave your life over to Jesus Christ, you died to sin. You died to it. So how can you continue to live in it? In other words, your response to what Jesus did for you, making you right before God, should be to live differently, to live holy, to live a sanctified life. Now, Paul's not saying that when you become a Christian, you'll never sin again because we are all sin this side of glory. Paul's simply saying, look, now that you've been rescued by Jesus from the wrath of God that sin brought, you can't live in that sin anymore because you've died to it. And now God has set you apart for his holy purposes. You were set apart to bring glory to God through your actions, through this new life that you have in Jesus Christ. Think about it. The only response that a true follower of Christ can have to all that God has done for them is to live differently, right? Can there be any other response? If you truly understand the first section of Romans, that we're all sinful and that we couldn't do anything about it, but that God loved us so much that he sent the gospel, he sent his son, and that's how everything is made right for us, you know, between us and God, then it makes sense that, man, our only response has to be, I'm going to live a holy life, a sanctified life, a different life. I'm not going to live in that life of, of sin anymore. Peter basically says the same thing in 1 Peter chapter 1. He said, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that you do. For it is written, be holy, God says, because I'm holy. God says, hey, look, I'm holy, and I live inside of you. So please, live holy. You're, you used to be on this team, sin's team, and you used to carry out all of its desires. Now you're on a new team. You, you know Christ. You know the gospel. 
Things have been made right between you and God. And so now my team lives differently. We, we live holy lives, you see? We live sanctified lives. And this makes sense. You were once a slave to sin. Sin was your master. And now that you know Jesus, you, you, you got a new master. Now, last week, we looked at three facts that Paul uses to back up this argument that we can't live the way we used to live now that we know Christ. And the first fact was this, is that a follower of Christ has been baptized with Jesus. At the very moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you were immersed into the life of Christ. You and Jesus, I said, were, were fused together in a very, very unique way. When you gave your life to Christ, at that moment, the Holy Spirit came into your life. The third person of the Holy Trinity came into your life, which means you are uniquely joined together with Jesus. So how can you continue to live in sin? The second fact was that Paul said, as a follower of Christ, you've been crucified with Jesus. At the very moment that you gave your life over to Jesus Christ, not only were you immersed into the life of Jesus, but your old nature, your Adamic nature, your sinful nature died on the cross with Jesus. So, so, so how can you continue to live in sin? How, how can you continue to do that? Galatians chapter 2 says, I have been crucified with Christ. That is the old nature. And I no longer live. Beloved, I is dead. Your old nature is dead. But now I'm alive. Because Christ lives in me. Fact number three was a follower of Christ has been resurrected with Jesus, the very moment you gave your life to Jesus Christ, not only were you immersed into the life of Jesus and your old nature, your Adamic nature died on the cross with him, but because Jesus conquered death, which is the penalty for sin, you also conquered death. You'll live with him forever and ever and ever in glory. So, so how can you continue to live in sin? Knowing these three facts, how can you live in unrepentant sin? I love Paul's encouragement in Ephesians chapter 4. He says to us, I urge you, those of you who understand sin and its impact on your life, those of you that understand that Jesus was the only solution to the problem of sin, those of you who have surrendered your, your life over to him, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. God didn't give his son to die on a cross that you might be free to live a life of sin. He, he, he gave his son to set you free from sin. That you might live a holy life, a sanctified life. That you would begin to be more and more transformed into the very image of his son. Yes, we as Christians struggle at times, but for the follower of Christ, we're no longer a slave to sin. We, we, we serve a new master, you see. Let me give you an illustration of what I'm talking about. I want you to imagine, if you can, that, uh, uh, that 
if you were a car, I want you to imagine you're a car. Your, your flesh is a car. Okay, a car needs gas to, to run on, right? Without gas, uh, a car won't work. Well, before you were a Christian, your car, your flesh, was always full of gasoline. It was literally always full. But at the very moment you gave your life over to Jesus Christ, God emptied the tank. He took the gas out of the car. He took the gasoline out of the flesh. He took the gasoline out of the old sinful nature or the Adamic nature. If your car doesn't have any gas in it, then it's got no power. Now, what we can do this side of glory is we can go grab a gas can and we can fill up our tank again, can't we? We can give our flesh power. We can give the old nature power. And we often do as believers. It happens. And once you put gas into that tank and now you've given power to the flesh, you've given power to the sinful nature, you know what's beautiful? Is all you have to do is go to the Lord and say, oh God, I'm sorry, forgive me of my sin. You know what he does? He drains the tank again. He takes the, he takes the fuel source right, right, right out of it. As a Christian, we can never say that the devil made us do it because the devil can't make a believer do anything. If you're a, a follower of Jesus Christ, <laughs> you have the power within you to drain the tank and not give sin a power source. Remember, your old nature was crucified, so sin no longer is your master. So with this said, today's, today is all about the actions or the acts of a believer. These are things that we need to do. Last week we looked at some facts, now we're going to look at the actions. There, there are things that we as followers of Christ have to do if we're going to be the people that God intends us to be. Isn't it interesting that the moment you gave your life to Christ, something, you know, we, we just don't, bam, change into, you know, these beautiful images of Jesus. Doesn't happen that way. There are some things that we as believers have to do. Yes, we have to know some things. That's important. Because you can't, you can't do anything if you don't know what God's word says. But we as believers, if we're going to live a holy life, if we're going to live a sanctified life, if we're going to be more and more transformed into the image of Jesus, there are some things that we have to do. And that's what Paul is going to uh, address in the text we're going to look at today. And the first action step is this. You as a follower of Jesus must believe. You've got to believe. God's word to be true. Look at verse 11 of Romans chapter 6. Paul says, so you also should consider yourselves to be dead to the power of sin or, or believe that you're dead to the power of sin and alive to God through Christ. 
This, this verse has to do with your, your mind. Paul's saying that you've got to believe what the word of God says. Otherwise, all the other things he's going to talk about in verses 12 through 14 will just go in one ear and out the other. Christian, for you to truly live a life worthy of your calling, for you to, to truly live as a new creation, for you to truly live a sanctified life, you've got to believe what God says about you. You've got to believe that you've died to sin. You've got to believe that you're not what you used to be. You've got to believe that you have the power to empty the tank, you see? I want you to look at the word consider. See that word? Some of your Bibles use the word count, or some of your Bibles will use the word reckon. This is a, a business term. It means to compute or to calculate or to consider. Paul is saying, beloved, add up the facts, calculate the facts, engage your mind, believe what God says so that then you can live accordingly. You see, what you believe about yourselves makes, makes a difference in how you live. You gotta believe. So the question becomes, do you believe what, what the Bible says? Do you really believe it? Do you believe that your old sinful nature was crucified on the cross with Christ? Do you believe that you now have the power as one of God's children to overcome sin? Do you believe that? Beloved, if you don't believe these things, you'll never start acting like it because somewhere within your soul, you don't believe or think that it can be done. You'll think it's impossible to live a life of unencumbered sin. I know that some of you struggle with this because you don't feel like your old nature was crucified, right? You woke up this morning, you looked in the mirror, and you looked the same. Still had that mole right here. You're wearing the same clothes you wore a week ago. You, you, you're going, you know, I, I look the same. I just feel the same. Well, here's the deal. You're basically going to put your trust in two things. One of two things. You're going to put your trust in your feelings. And unfortunately, many believers do. Or you're going to put your trust in God's word. Those are basically your two choices. I'm going to put my trust in how I feel. Or am I going to put my trust in what God's word says? The choice is yours. This is the first action that you as a believer have to take if you're going to live a sanctified life. Do you believe what God's word says? Look, I'm glad that we have feelings. God gave us feelings. I love to emote. But I tell you all the time that your feelings have no IQ. You can't educate your feelings. And for the most part, feelings are pretty much irrational. 
We've all been driving down the road, and I don't know, somebody cut us off, right, on the freeway, or it could be right out here in the parking lot after we just spent all this time worshiping the Lord. And, you know, you feel like you just want to hit the gas and crash into the back of them, right? That's what you feel like. But God gave us this unbelievable thing called a brain. And he wants his people to go to a higher place. Don't make a decision based upon how you feel. Go here. Get here. And once you get here, you go, you know what? That wouldn't be a good idea for me to step on the gas right now. Yes, good idea. Don't do that. Think. Our Lord said it's the truth that sets you free. The truth. Talking about this truth. Not your feelings. Your feelings don't set you free. I'm glad I got them. I'm glad you have them. But when you feel a certain way, you need to say, does that square up with what the word of God says? And if it doesn't, then you take that thought captive and say, hold on a second. I don't know where that's coming from. But it isn't coming from God's word, and I'm going to believe God's word instead of how I feel. I'm going to believe God's word other than what my parents told me or what my professor in college told me. I'm going to believe God's word. And that's where it all begins. And that's an action. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 9. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Oh, man. Let me tell you something. Self doesn't like to be denied. That is a difficult thing, is to deny you. Because let me tell you something. Your flesh loves itself. It's a powerful thing. And Jesus said, you want to come after me, you, you, you got to deny yourself. You got to take up your cross. You got to be willing to give up your life for me. And then follow me. Proverbs chapter 3 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Beloved, God says, deny you. Don't trust in you. Don't lean on what you think. Don't lean on what you feel. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Put your trust in Jesus Christ and what the scriptures say. And that's an action. It's the first action. Here's the bottom line. The only chance that you and I have of living a holy life, a sanctified life, is getting to the point in our relationship with Jesus that we really believe that our old nature has died on the cross. Because this truth is the starting point of victory. Now let me uh, give you some good news here real quick. Paul said this in 2 Timothy chapter 2. He said, if we are faithless, and we will be Christian, he will remain faithful, for he cannot disown himself. Beloved, I guarantee you that there will be times when you'll blow it. There will be times when you're faithless. There will be times when you'll put gas back into the car, okay? 
But though you blow it and though you may be faithless at times, don't ever forget that God still remains faithful. Praise the Lord. In other words, your unbelief or your unfaithfulness or your weakness will never cancel out the faithfulness of God. Listen, God loves you and that'll never change, even during those times when you're unfaithful because you're a part of God's family. You're, you're fused together with him. You're immersed into the life of Christ. Look, God's very aware of your human condition. God knows you're not in glory yet. God knows that you still have this sinful nature, this flesh that Paul says no good dwells in it. He's aware of that. He gets it. Matthew 26 records a really special moment. (laughs) At least it's special for us. Life of Peter. Now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said, but he denied it before them all. I don't know what you're talking about, Peter said. Then he went out of the gateway where another girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. And he denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, those standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them for your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses on himself and and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he, Peter, went outside and he wept bitterly. Hey, this is Peter we're talking about here. This is the first round draft pick, if you will, of the faith. This is the LeBron James of the basketball. This is the man. And here he is, just faithless. I mean, I mean, it's not even a, there's not even a Roman soldier there with a, you know, a sword ready to take off his head. It's just a little servant girl. And he's just blown it big time. Did God know that Peter was going to disown him when he chose him? Yeah, he did. And he chose him anyway. He's quite aware down here on planet earth that though he's given you the power to take the gas out of the car, that there will be times when you'll stop at the filling station, put a few gallons in the tank, and you'll make the choice to allow your sinful nature to get the better of you going to happen he knows it but though you blow it he's still faithful he's still faithful don't you forget that but that's not an excuse just to hit the gas station every day you know and fill up the tank okay now the second action step is this 
you as a follower of Jesus must resist the temptation to sin. You got to resist. Look at verse 12. Do not let sin control the way you live. Don't, you know, do not give into sinful desires. Don't let any part of your body become an instrument of evil. Serve sin. One version says it like this. Therefore, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as an instrument of wickedness. In other words, Paul is saying don't let sin go unchallenged in your life. Because whenever you allow sin to go unchallenged, you're, you're toast. When you allow sin to go unchallenged in your life, it's like putting gas in the car. In verse 12, Paul is basically coming to a, a, a conclusion. He's getting to the bottom line. He's saying, if you really believe that you're in Christ, if you really believe that your old nature was crucified, if you really believe that you were raised with Christ, if you really believe this, then you've got to take action. You've got to resist the temptations that bombard your life. And the good news is, is that you now have a power within you to actually resist. And that is the Holy Spirit. In other words, you can't let sin go unchallenged in your life anymore as a follower of Jesus. A Christian has no business saying, well, you know, I just, I just couldn't help myself. Because according to God's word, you can. You, you, you can help yourself. The Bible says that Jesus Christ broke the power that sin had in your life. As a follower of Christ, you have a new power, a power you didn't have before you knew him. And it's God's expectation that you tap in to this new power source, that you deepen your relationship with him. That's why Bible studies and men's groups and women's groups and home groups and all the things that we do, prime time, all these things are important because they're helping us all learn to you know, tap into this power source. Titus chapter 2 says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, all people, praise the Lord. And what does the grace of God do? It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, godly lives in this present when you gave your life to Christ and you received the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is now a part of your life and it's teaching you to say no to the old way of living, the old nature, the Adamic nature. No, don't live like that. Oh, don't do that anymore. Oh, you've been baptized into Christ. Oh, you've been resurrected with Christ. Oh, don't, don't live that way anymore. There's a new way that you're to live, a holy way sanctified way. A way that at the end you look more and more like Jesus Christ. Sin, someone once said, is like gravity and it's constantly pulling you down, trying to make you fall. But grace is like God giving you wings that you might soar in the air in spite of the gravity. Yes, we have this sinful nature 
We got it. And it's just always dragging us down a rat hole. But God gave you his Holy Spirit that you might soar above it. You don't have to be dragged down into the muck of of sin. Beloved, the next time you hear that voice within you that says, go ahead and sin, you know, it's no big deal. God will forgive you. I want you to think of Romans chapter 6. In verse 1, are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? May it never be. We died to sin. We died to it. Can't live in it anymore. Dr. Barnhouse used to give this analogy. It's really great. He told of a cruise captain went mad and was replaced in mid-voyage by the first mate. Now the old captain had no authority. The new captain was the one to be obeyed. Yet Barnhouse suggested that the crew might very well find itself jumping to obey when the old captain shouted out its orders. And what the crew had to do was constantly remember that the old captain wasn't to be obeyed any longer. And they had to learn to respond to the voice of the new captain. You see, before we knew the Lord, we had a captain. Sin. And it just barked out orders. And we said, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. Then we gave our lives to Christ. We got a new captain now. Well, the old captain still can yell out some things, right? And we, we lived in sin so long, it would be easy just to go, oh, I'll just do whatever the old captain said. And we, but we got we to gotta learn to go, whoa, 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 hold on, hold on, hold on. That's the old captain. That's the old way of living. That's not the holy way. That's not the sanctified way. That doesn't make me more like Jesus. I got to obey a new voice. There's a new captain in my life. Now, someday when we get to heaven, the old captain ain't going to be around anymore. Until then, it's still barking out orders. My, my old captain's just uh, 20. My old captain never sleeps. He's just, just barking out orders, man, from the moment I get up. That's why from the moment I get up, I need to get in the word immediately because I got a new captain. See, he's, I got a new captain. He's got a new thought for me. So action step number one is you got to believe God's word to be true. Action step number two is you got to resist the temptation. And action step number three is this. You as a follower of Christ must offer yourself to God. You got to believe. You got to resist. And then you got to offer yourself to God. Look at verse 13. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. First Paul says, don't offer your, uh, uh, the parts of your body to sin, but then he goes on and he says, here's what you have to do. Here's the action step. Offer your body to Christ. This sounds a whole bunch like what Paul said in Romans chapter 12, doesn't it? Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. 
Now, the problem with a living sacrifice is you can put it up on the altar, and guess what? It can crawl off the altar, right? You can come here on Sundays and sing Onward, Christian Soldier, and then on Monday go AWOL, right? But at any moment, because God is faithful, you can go to him and ask for forgiveness. I think what Paul's trying to say here is this, is that we're just to go to God and say, God, here I am. I'm, I'm giving myself to you. I'm, I'm offering myself to you for whatever purposes you might have for me. I'm offering you my eyeballs. I want them to, to see only what you want them to see. I'm offering you my tongue. I want them to say only what you want, them, want it to say. I'm offering you my ears. I, I only want to hear what you want me to hear. I'm offering you my hands. I, I only want them to touch what you want me to touch. I'm offering you my mind. I, I want to fill it only with what you want to fill it with. I'm, I'm offering you my legs. I want them to take me only where you want them to take me. You see, you get up in the morning and you say, God, here's this crummy body of mine. It's not going to go to heaven, but you want me to offer it to you, and so it's yours, God. What do you want to do with it today? God, I only want these legs to take me places that are good and right and holy and righteous, like church on a Sunday. Because these legs, you can use them to walk into a bar and get loaded and get drunk. You can use your eyeballs to read the word of God, enjoy your family, or you can use your eyeballs and give them to unrighteous things like porn or whatever it might be. You see, there's an action step that we have to take, and that is say, God, I'm offering you this body, this frail body that Paul says there's no good in it, but I'm offering it to you. Aren't you thankful for all of these folks that offered their bodies to God, their tongues to God, their fingers to God, you know, whatever it might be, their, their lips to God to play the horn and the trumpet. Some of you, you know what? You didn't fill this out. You don't want to offer yourself to do anything for anybody. I'm not going to offer myself. I'm just going to come and sit and listen to the sermon and leave. And here was a chance for you to say, you know what? I'm offering myself. Here are the things that I can do. There's a lot of things on here I can't do. I was looking at this list when they put it together. And let me just tell you something. You wouldn't want me to come and do any carpentry at your house or lay concrete or do electrical. If I, oh, if I did electrical, I'd be dead. Uh, I, you don't want me to do flooring. You don't want, you don't want me anywhere near a tool. <laughs> but there are things on here, man, I go, I, I, can, I can do that. I could do that. I could do that. I could offer my, my body to those things. My hope is, is that the Holy Spirit is convicting some of you. That you'd take this card that you didn't fill out and this is your church. And you'd say, wait a minute. I sure like it when everybody takes care of me. But I don't really offer myself to do anything for anybody. Fill this out. 
This might be your action step today. God, I'm going to offer, I'm going to do exactly what Romans 6, 13, and 14 says. This is it. This is the practical step. And then just put it in the little box on your way out. And realize your responsibility before God to believe what the Bible says, to resist the enemy and temptation, and then to say, God, I offer myself to you. However you might use me. Man, thank the Lord for a guy like Marty. I'll tell you what, let me tell you what kind of guy Marty is here real quick. (laughs) I could say, hey, Marty. I need you to go walk the parking lot and make sure bad guys don't break into the into cars. And you know what he'd do? He'd be all over it like a cheap suit, though he can't see a thing. Because <laughs> he gets it. If you need me to do that, I'll do it. He'd do anything. Now, we found a place for him to be used. Praise the Lord for that. Some of you need to find a place to serve. It's a chance to offer yourself to him. I have this, um, this video. Just, I saw it, showed it Wednesday night in here. And it's just this great video. It talks about how great our God is. And it, it kind of just is a no-brainer that we would want to believe him, that we want to resist sin, that we'd want to take the action of saying, God, here's, here's my life, here are my hands, my feet, here are the, here are the talents that I have. And I want you to, I want you to watch this. It's actually a, a sermon in a sermon. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. 
cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captive. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent, and he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's the key to knowledge. He's the wellspring of wisdom. He's the doorway of deliverance. He's the pathway of peace. He's the roadway of righteousness. He's the highway of holiness. He's the gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is light. I wish I could describe him to you. Yes, he's indescribable. He's incomprehensible. He's invincible. He's irresistible. You can't get him out of your mind. You can't, you can't get him off of your hand. You can't outlive him, and you can't live without him. Well, the Pharisees couldn't stand him, but they found out they couldn't stop him. Pilate couldn't find any fault in him. Herod couldn't kill him. Death couldn't handle him, and the grave couldn't hold him. Yeah! That's my king. That's my king. Oh, man. Amen. I'd like to have been in church that day. <laughs> wow. I watched that and thought to myself, wow. We were all in Romans 1, 2, and 3. Slave to sin. And then our king came, forgave us of our sins, made everything right between us and God. And now his people are to live holy, to live righteous, to be more and more transformed into the image of the Lord. And our lesson today was, hey, folks, here's the deal. Believe our king. Resist evil. He gave you the power. And then offer your lives to him. Offer the, your bodies to him. You do those three acts, and I guarantee you, your life will begin to change. I want uh, everybody in the venue to close your eyes. Everybody close your eyes in here. And For some of you, just while you're here, just quietly, just, I know you believe the word of God. I know you do. And just say, God, I just want you to know I believe, I believe, I believe. Just let him know that in your heart. For some of you, you know what? This is the moment where you go, Lord, I'm here and I, I'm taking the action step to believe. Just help me with my unbelief. <laughs> Now,
Now, I just want you maybe to pray. Maybe there's some sin that just keeps nipping at your heel. Maybe there's some sin you were involved in last night. Maybe there's some sin that's just kind of on the horizon. I don't know what it is. Why don't you tell God, God, with your help and your power, I'm going to resist that sin. I'm going to take some action. I'm going to resist it. I'm going to quit texting that person who's not my spouse. I'm gonna quit looking at that stuff that just is unholy and unrighteous and leads me down a rat hole. And now, just offer yourselves to God. I know many of you serve, you're using your body for righteous things, I know it. But tell the Lord, God, I, I want to continue to use my, my, my body, my hands, my feet, my tongue. My, I want to continue to use them for your purposes. I'm offering my body to you again, God. And for some of you, you've never done that. So far, your journey of faith has been about you. You're thankful that others have offered their bodies and led you in music today. Maybe they're watching your baby, holding your baby. Maybe they're teaching your children. They've been serving you all day here or all morning. And now it's your turn to say, God, I'm offering myself to you now. However you want to use my life, however I could be used at this church, I'm offering myself to you. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time to be together as a family. Sure enjoyed uh, this great, holy, sanctified music we were listening to, even last night, tonight. I'm thankful for all of those that have offered their bodies to you to serve in this capacity, those that are using their, their bodies in the sound booth and in the technical areas. Lord, I'm thankful for Marty that he uses his one life in service to you in such a special way. I'm thankful, God, for all of those that serve here at Big Valley Grace. They serve in our children's ministries, our youth ministries. I'm so thankful for prime time and, and Pastor Gordon's leadership and Lee Anderson's leadership in there. Thankful, God, for those that are serving out in the cafe to make the fellowship out there sweet and those that are at the information center and, Lord, those over in the venue and the worship leaders over there and those that make the online thing work. God, there's so many people that have offered their bodies, their hands, their legs, their feet, their minds, their eyes to you. Pour out your favor on each of them, Lord. I think about those that are here and they've yet to do that. And maybe today is the day, God, when another army of people say, I'm, I'm in. I'm not just going to attend this place anymore. I'm going to belong. And I'm offering myself to God and his purposes here at Big Valley Grace. Thanks, Jesus, for your goodness to us. And I pray these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. amen. Hey, Lord, Lord bless you. Live for Christ.